ASIP, the voice of interventional pain management. The ASIP podcast is sponsored by Boston Scientific. In a registry of 800 patients, 72% of patients used multiple waveforms when given the option. Boston Scientific's Precision Spectra SCS system offers customized pain relief, delivering multiple waveforms to a precise neural target. You want options? Boston Scientific delivers. The ASIP podcast is also sponsored by Medtronic, your partner in personalized pain solutions for patients with musculoskeletal pain, cancer pain, severe spasticity, or chronic pain. To learn more about Medtronic Solutions, call 888-638-7627 or visit back.com. Hello and welcome to the November 2016 edition of the ASIP Podcast. This is Tom Pergy of the ASIP staff and on this podcast we'll get to know ASIP's new Director of Operations. In the news segment, we'll find out if pain is contagious. I'll have the latest medical marijuana news, some pediatric pain news, and much more. And we'll wrap things up with a study about whether rats are ticklish. Well, 2017 will be another busy year for ASIP training and didactic courses. In March, we will have courses on lumbar endoscopic spinal decompression and regenerative medicine. Our annual meeting will be in April. In June, we'll have courses on interventional techniques and a combined course on controlled substance management and coding compliance and practice management. July, will have us in Chicago for a week-long comprehensive pain management board review, as well as courses on controlled substance management and coding compliance and practice management. Finally, in November, we will offer the lumbar endoscopic course again, as well as the course on regenerative medicine and the course on interventional techniques. So you have multiple chances to take these courses next year. But I will tell you that the regenerative medicine and lumbar endoscopic decompression courses have been very popular in the past. So if you want to sign up for either of them, I highly suggest that you do it right away. Uh, Further information on these courses and registration info can be found on our website, which is www.asipp.org. And uh, if we add other courses uh, to next year's schedule, we'll certainly tell you about that here on the podcast, and we will make that information available to you on the website as well. The ASIP podcast is sponsored in part by Stimwave, maker of the Freedom Spinal Cord Stimulation System. Find out more about the Freedom Spinal Cord System at www.stimwave.com. And by St. Jude Medical, makers of spinal cord stimulation and radiofrequency therapy products. Visit them at professional.sjm.com. Well, ASIP has a new Director of Operations, Casey Stunson. We'll meet and talk with her next, here on the ASIP Podcast. (music) 
Many of you worked with and knew Melinda Martin, who was the Director of Operations for ASIP for a number of years. Melinda has left us, but is still going to be uh, in a consulting role with us. And our new Director of Operations is who I want to introduce you to right now here on the podcast. She is Casey Stunson. Hello, Casey. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. So... Give us the Casey Stunson story. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? What have you done before you came to ASIP? Well, I um, am originally from Southern Illinois, which is about an hour. My hometown was an hour from um, Paducah, Kentucky. So I'm a lot closer to family now, which is great. For the past 15 years, I have been um, in broadcast news journalism, um, most recently in news management. I've lived in some pretty pretty cool places. I uh, started out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, then I moved to Cleveland. I worked uh, in Detroit after that, on to Houston. And uh, most recently, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was the assistant news director at the NBC affiliate there. So, so you say that you were in news management. What exactly does that entail? You told the reporters, here's what you're going to cover today, or you coordinated the camera people, the people behind the scenes, what, what exactly did all that entail? All of that and then everything else that went okay, on. I answered your, um, I answered your question, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, that's, yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, when I started, I was just a, what you'd call a line producer. So I was um, in charge of one newscast, like maybe the five o'clock newscast or the 10 o'clock newscast, whatever. And then um, as an as a assistant news director, from the 24-hour news cycle, you are kind of in charge as an editorial role, and then also, you know, you have the man management of what video we use or what sound bites we use or how, whether or not we want to continue doing a story or who's covering a story or just every facet of what you see as the final product on your TV. And so you worked in a number of markets because I know that for a lot of broadcasters, it's almost a journeyman's life, isn't it? It can be for sure. Um, you know, I worked in markets uh, like WDIV in Detroit where there were a lot of folks who started their career in that shop and ended their career in that shop because they were, you know, Detroit born and bred and you know, they were going to stay there forever. And then a lot of, lot of times um, you start in a smaller market, like for me, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then as you increase in your position, you move to a bigger market. So that was kind of the route that I took. Um, and I was, um, Detroit is probably, and Houston were the biggest market, 10 and 11, I think at the time when I worked in them. Um, so that was pretty, pretty interesting. Now I have a background in television also, but not in news. I was in, uh, I was making commercials, uh, but I did observe that the producers of the newscasts were juggling a lot of balls, keeping them up in the air a lot. How do you think that type of skill is going to translate to your work here at ASIP as the director of operations? It's very, very similar, really. Um, <laughs> just without the video cameras more than anything, um, you know, you're as a manager, you're obviously, you know, juggling all your your team, and then you're also juggling all the pieces of their puzzle, and then you're juggling, it's a lot of communications, too, which is very, very important. Um, 
making sure everybody's on the same page, making sure everybody knows the goals, and from the little bit to the big picture, um, you know, it's it, it's very similar. Um, so, you know, I think that's helped a lot. Now, your baptism with ASIP was in Washington. Yes. When we went to Washington, that was what you'd been on the job only a few weeks. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and so you got to see uh, an ASIP meeting in action. And then you've also been to one of our di- or a couple of our didactic mm-hmm. meetings. Yes. Uh, impressions about uh, when ASIP is out in the field uh, taking care of business with all of our different uh, constituencies. Well, I think the biggest um, shock, I guess, or fascination for me has been the breadth of things that I get to touch upon. Um, you know, obviously, in the Washington trip um, was very cool, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, you know, getting to see the, the the lobbyists and the players and and um, getting getting to walk all over D.C. and and see the political side of what we do. Um, and then, you know, the other, another small piece, or not small piece, another piece of what we do, you know, I've ordered cadavers and um, medical equipment and, you know, staged things at a lab. And, you know, neither of those things have I ever been hands-on with like I am now. You know, I've, I've written stories about politics and I've written stories about health and health care and, and medical treatments, but I've never actually been right there where it's, you know, kind of, playing out. So, so that's been kind of cool. So in your wildest dreams, you never thought that you would have a job where you were ordering cadavers. Never <laughs> ever crossed my mind. That, that is safe <laughs> it was to definitely say. a, uh, yeah, interesting development. And you've had a chance to meet uh, a lot of our, our members at uh, both up in Washington and at uh, the, the workshops. Uh, they're a pretty dedicated bunch, wouldn't you say? They are. They are. No, none more so than Dr. Manjikani, of course. Um, sure. I've never met a more passionate or dedicated person uh, than he is, but it's it's really... Um, and you have to try to keep up with him every day. Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> even um, pretend that that's possible. I, I'll continue to try, but um, it's really... I really enjoy uh, his relationship with... Um, members of ASIP and and seeing how much they appreciate him, which is great because he does work so hard for them. What he does, and, you know, and when I get to see that appreciation, you know, it makes what I do. Oh, that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's that's awesome. So and it's for the patients. Uh, ultimately, uh, I know Dr. Manchikani and, and the other members of ASIP. It's all for the patients to give them uh, the relief and function that uh, that they deserve. Any surprises uh, in your short time here? I don't know about, you know, surprises. I mean, once I got over the cadaver part of it, I think that was, <laughs> that was probably the biggest, the biggest I'm doing what? I have to order what? You know, and then we do what? <laughs> um, and just, again, back to, you know, just the breadth of the learning curve that um, I'm involved in, learning, you know, everything from kind of bottom up and top down um, has been a little overwhelming at times, but, um, you know, take a deep breath and think, hey, this is, look at all I'm learning, it's kind of cool. Now, you have been involved with, uh, I, I call them smaller meetings, when compared to the annual meeting that we have coming up in April in Las Vegas, 
Caesar's Palace. I'm trying to remember. I think it's April 20th through the 22nd. Yes. So we'll put in a plug for that. Uh, I know that uh, some of the initial planning has gone on, and you can't spill the beans on everything that's going to happen. But uh, can you give us just a taste of what people uh, might be seeing once they uh, go to the annual meeting next April? Well, I think the the buzz is going to continue to be um, Trump and what that's going to mean um, for you know our team and our physicians um, for healthcare broadly across the country. Sure, um, insurance for for everything. So I mean that that that's our big buzz and I think it's only going to continue to get bigger as Trump you know goes ahead and starts laying out his his plans um, you know I know already one of our speakers has already written articles about you know his thoughts on where things are going to be going so I know that that's going to be one of the hot 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 topics um, at the meeting so and we always have really uh, well-known world-class speakers and and I know that uh, Dr. Manchikani is uh, lining up uh, an equal people of, of equal stature for next year so we really invite everyone to to join us in Vegas looking for the biggest one you know it keeps growing every year yes. this is going to be your first one and in the past couple of years it has just been growing exponentially so uh, make sure that you get plenty of rest before <laughs> April Casey. Hey, thanks right. for talking with us uh, Casey Stunson our Director of Operations, our new Director of Operations here at the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. Let's take a look at some pain-related news that you might have missed. Is pain sensitivity contagious? Well, it would seem so, according to a study conducted with mice at Oregon Health and Science University. As is often the case in science, their discovery was serendipitous. The researchers were conducting a study on pain perception during withdrawal from alcohol and cocaine. They noticed that mice in the laboratory that were not part of their experiment were just as sensitive to pain as were the mice in the experiment. So they designed an experiment with three groups. A control group kept in another room, a group primed to have a lowered threshold to painful stimuli, and a group not primed but kept in close proximity to the group that experienced the painful stimuli. Now, the group in proximity developed corresponding hyperalgesia. The researchers hypothesized that an olfactory mechanism was at work, so they took the straw bedding from the cages of the pain-primed mice and put it in the cages of the control group. The control group then reacted with the same hyperalgesia. Their findings were published in the journal Science Advances. Medical marijuana measures were big winners in the recent election. Three states approved the use of medical marijuana, Florida, North Dakota, and Arkansas. In Montana, medical marijuana sales will resume. A 2011 state law in Montana restricted marijuana providers to a maximum of three patients. That law forced dispensaries to close their doors and left thousands of registered users without a legal way to access the drug. Now doctors in Montana will be able to certify more than 25 medical marijuana patients a year without being flagged by the State Board of Medical Examiners. 
Post-traumatic stress disorder will now be added as a qualifying condition in Montana. As for recreational marijuana, that will now be legal in California, Massachusetts, and Nevada, but recreational use failed in Arizona. All these new pot users will probably not be happy with the latest cannabis research. A study recently published in the British medical journal Open reports that smoking cannabis has serious effects on the vascular system. So much so that the researchers say the longtime smokers in their study had a biological age 11% older than expected due to hardening of the arteries. According to the study's lead author, Professor Stuart Reese of the University of Western Australia, quote, We found that for those who used cannabis over a long time, not only does it age you, it increases aging at an exponential rate over time. Another study, this one published in Nature, found what the researchers believe is the reason that pot smokers have memory loss, disruption to mitochondria. They looked at brain cell mitochondria and their CB1 receptors, or cannabinoid 1 receptors, in the hippocampus, where most memory processing occurs. And when these receptors were activated, it caused memory loss. The researchers hope that medical marijuana strains can be modified to eliminate its effect on mitochondria. Children at one hospital in Pittsburgh are presenting with headaches at an alarmingly increasing rate. From 2007 to 2014, the rate of pediatric emergency department visits for headaches doubled from 2% to 4%. Hospital admissions for pediatric headaches more than doubled from 10% to 24%. The hospital in question is Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, part of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. One of the study's co-authors, Dr. Regina Toto, said, quote, our findings show a worrisome trend, and we need to figure out why so many children are ending up in hospitals with headaches. Their findings were presented as an abstract at the 2016 American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition in San Francisco. While on the subject of pediatric headaches, the New England Journal of Medicine recently published an article about prophylactic treatment for pediatric migraine was part of a project known as CHAMP, C-H-A-M-P, which stands for Childhood and Adolescent Migraine Prevention. The randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial of 328 adolescents aged 8 to 17 who suffer from migraine looked at amitriptyline, deparamate, and placebo. No significant differences in reduction of headache frequency or headache-related disability were found among the three arms of the study. In fact, the trial was stopped early, after only 24 weeks, due to what the authors called, in their words, futility, since neither of the two preventive medications were proving to be more effective than placebo. One more pediatric pain story for you. For children with pain from sickle cell, adding a low dose of methadone to the standard pain treatment can increase pain relief. In the study, conducted at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis and published online in Pediatric Blood and Cancer, when patients were given a single low dose of methadone, their need for morphine was diminished. Many patients who have Irritable Bowel Syndrome, or IBS, have high levels of abdominal pain. 
Treating that pain has always been problematic. Researchers at the Mayo Clinic hypothesized that pregabalin, better known by its brand name Lyrica and commonly used for treating fibromyalgia, might be beneficial for IBS pain. In a 12-week placebo-controlled trial, patients who received pregabalin had significant pain improvement and even had improvement in other IBS-related symptoms, including bloating and diarrhea. Their findings were presented at the annual meeting of the American College of Gastroenterology in Las Vegas. And finally, a commonly prescribed arthritis NSAID appears to have a synergistic effect with antidepressant medication. The NSAID is the selective COX-2 inhibitor Celecoxib, better known as Celebrex. Researchers at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine conducted an eight-week study of patients with bipolar disorder who were in the depressive phase. The 55 patients were randomized to receive escitalopram, better known as Lexapro, plus Celebrex, or Lexapro and a placebo. The results seem to support the hypothesis that inflammation plays a role in depression. Of the patients in the Celebrex group, 78% had a 50% reduction in their pain scores. In the placebo group, only 45% had a 50% reduction. More astonishing is that 63% of the Celebrex group claimed their depression had completely disappeared, while only 10% of the placebo group made the same claim. In addition, the Celebrex group saw results in as little as one week rather than the normal four to six weeks it takes for an antidepressant to take effect. The study's findings were presented in Athens, Greece, at the 5th International Congress on Psychiatry and the Neurosciences. The ACIP podcast is sponsored by Medtronic, your partner in personalized pain solutions for patients with musculoskeletal pain, cancer pain, severe spasticity, or chronic pain. To learn more about Medtronic Solutions, call 888-638-7627 or visit back.com. The ACIP podcast is also sponsored by Boston Scientific. In a registry of 800 patients, 72% of patients used multiple waveforms when given the option. Boston Scientific's Precision Spectra SCS system offers customized pain relief, delivering multiple waveforms to a precise neural target. You want options? Boston Scientific delivers. Earlier in the podcast, I told you about the meetings ASIP has planned for 2017. Some of our state societies have their 2017 meeting date set. So far, we are aware that Ohio will hold their state meeting August 25th through the 27th at the Weston Hotel in Cincinnati, and California will hold its meeting September 15th through the 17th at a location yet to be determined. As we get additional information on these and other state society meetings, we'll pass it along to you here on the podcast. Of course, you can also check in with our website, www.asipp.org for the latest information. The ASIP podcast is sponsored in part by Stemwave, maker of the Freedom Spinal Cord Stimulation System. Find out more about the Freedom Spinal Cord System at www.stemwave.com. And by St. Jude Medical, makers of spinal cord stimulation and radiofrequency therapy products. Visit them 
at professional.sjm.com. Finally, you've probably heard of the horse whisperer or the dog whisperer. Well, now we are going to tell you about the rat tickler. That's right, the rat tickler. Shimpei Ishiyama is a neuroscience postdoc at Humboldt University in Berlin, and his advisor is Michael Brecht. They were building on observations made in the 1990s that rats made singing-type noises when having sex or eating. The German researchers sought to find out if rats laughed when tickled. According to them, yes, they do. Their experiment included building a tickle box to put the rats in and then drilling tiny holes in the rats' little heads in order to place electrodes to record their brain activity. Also placed in the tickle box was a special rat microphone to record their little rat laughter. Well, that wraps up this month's podcast. I'd like to hear from you. Send me an email at tom at asip.org, T-O-M at A-S-I-P-P dot O-R-G. This is Tom Preeke. Thanks for listening. And please join me next month for another ASIP podcast. <laughs>